Father, lead us to the place where our trust in you is without borders. That we believe in you so strongly that you built our faith. And no matter how deep those waters are, that you would continue your work in each of our lives individually. Father, we thank you that we can come into your presence and we can praise you and worship you and you inhabit our praises. And we've already been transformed because of your presence here in this service. And I just pray, Lord, as we continue, that by your spirit, you take the living word of God, that nothing in me would get in the way of what you want to say to us today, but that when we leave today, we'd be transformed, we'd be changed because we've been in your presence and been impacted by your living word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Several years ago, I was in the men's locker room at a health club getting dressed after my swimming workout. Those of you who go to a health club know that one of the hot topics of conversation in the health club is health. Health. It's always about health. This is especially true for the over 50 crowd, which I joined a couple years ago. A little longer than that. You don't have to laugh. That's okay. That's good. These guys... In the, in the locker room, they talk about heart disease, cholesterol levels, losing weight, recovery from hip replacement surgery, knee replacements. They talk about medications. They talk about physical therapy, exercise, sleep, and oddly enough, they always like to talk about gambling, whatever that meant. And sometimes these conversations were very interesting. This one day, I overheard a conversation about lung cancer. Lung cancer. At least the man thought he had lung cancer. All the scans and tests this guy showed that he had a large, ominous spot on his lung. So he said, I went in for surgery, and they cut me open, and they found nothing. Nothing. Then he made a very interesting statement. He said, either the tests were wrong, or I had a miracle. The tests were wrong, or I had a miracle. Well, all the guys in the locker room had their opinion about what actually happened and, and a few choice words about lab and x-ray technicians. But as I left, I wondered too, were the tests wrong? Or had he had a real miracle? Well, today we're going to talk about the, the miraculous, about divine intervention. Specifically, we're going to talk about prayer. Prayer prescriptions. We're going to talk about prayer for healing. Now, I would love it if when we finish today, we had all the answers for all this subject. But we're, we're not going to have all the answers to this very vast topic. But I hope that we will have a new and profound trust in God as the sovereign worker of miracles who actually hears prayer and answers prayer. Let's turn to James 5. James, the fifth chapter, it's on page 980 in the Bible in the rack in front of you, or you can watch it on the, on the projection as well. James 5, starting with verse 13. Is, when he, is any of you in trouble? He should pray. 
Is anyone happy? He should sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. This passage is about prayer. Prayer. Now, I want us to ask, what can we learn about prayer? James begins by asking three questions, and then he answers each of the questions. Let's look at each question, first of all. The first one is, are you in trouble? Pray. Are you in trouble? Pray. How many of you can recall a childhood trauma of getting in trouble? Anybody else? My hands up. Yeah. All of us got in trouble as children. Maybe you got caught in a lie, or maybe you disobeyed your parents, or you broke something valuable, or you lost a priceless collectible. What was our first inclination when we're in trouble? What did you do? When I'm in trouble, you know what I did? I'd hide. Yeah, hide. You hide. We quick hide. Hiding, hiding is genetic. Is genetic. Hiding was passed on to us through the generations. The very first people to get in trouble were Adam and Eve. And when they sinned, they broke God's rules. What did they do? They hid. They hid. See, it's following our genetics. That's what happens. They hid. Well, James has a better idea, and God has a better solution. Are you in trouble? Pray. Pray. Now, the trouble James is speaking of here is most likely persecution. When you go to the first part of James, you discover that these first century Christians were experiencing some very, very difficult, very tough times. And what were they called to do? What did he tell them to do? He said, to pray. He says, turn to God and pray. When we're experiencing trouble, any kind of trouble, it's not the time to hide from God or to hide from our fellow believers or hide from people at our church. It's a time to pray, speaking to God, and it demonstrates that we know that we need God and he has the answer. I said last week and probably two weeks before that, that prayer is humbling. Prayer is humbling because prayer says I need God. First, First Peter 5, 6 through 7 says this. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may, be lift you up, may, may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's a picture of casting or giving it to God. How many of you, how many of you like to fish? Okay, a lot of you fish, okay. How many of you like to kill those innocent deer and hunt? Okay, that's, I, I've never been able to do that. Well, I grew, up, I grew up fishing in southern Minnesota on the, uh, the southern Minnesota lakes, and I was probably the world's worst fisherman. But at, as an eight-year-old, I remember casting out, and we used the bobber method, okay, the bobber method of fishing. Basically, you take the hook and you put the bait on, and you have a, have a sinker that pulls the hook down, then you have a bobber, okay? Everybody knows how this works, right? So you cast, maybe you don't do it this way, but I did back then. You cast out and cast it out there, and then you'd watch the bobber and wait for it to move. And of course, an eight-year-old doesn't have a lot of patience, and so I wanted to reel it in every couple minutes to see if there's any action, see what was going on. You can't do that if you're going to fish with a bobber. You have to wait until something happens. It's called waiting. 
It's casting, and, and some of us are just like that when it comes to casting our cares on God. We say, God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give this to you, but every 30 seconds we reel it back and say, God, have you answered yet? What have you done? No, casting your cares on him is like casting out and waiting for God to do something. And prayer, like that, it's humbling. He says, humble yourself. Cast on me. Cast it on me. Pray, cast, let go of it. Wait and trust. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy. He says, are you in trouble? Pray. Don't hide. He says, pray. Secondly, maybe you're not experiencing trouble today. Maybe, maybe you're experiencing something different. Next, James says, number two, he says, are you happy? Praise God. Are you happy? Praise God. The human tendency is to pray when things go bad and forget when things go great. Isn't that true? We pray when things go bad and we forget when things are great. Happy, he says, praise God. Sing songs of praise. When we praise God, we practice the belief that God is the source of all our blessings. God is one who has given us all these things. So he says, if you're happy, praise God. All throughout the history of mankind, we've seen a pattern, a, an endless cycle. And, I, and I, I talked about this in my message on Gideon three weeks ago and last week about the message on Second Chronicles on if. It's this endless cycle. God blesses his people. They get happy. They forget God. Then God brings trouble to bring them back into relationship. They repent, ask for forgiveness, return to God, and they're happy again. Okay? Then they forget God, etc. You know, there's this cycle over and over again that God has to completely do something. They forget. If we praise God when all is well, we don't forget God. And of course, if we forget, God will remind us. You can count on it. We need God. You know, I know that when we look at our country today, our country is in a mess. We're the most divided we've ever seen. And, and people are looking for political answers and political solutions. That's not where the solutions are going to be. It has to do with the spiritual nature of our nation. We need God. There's a, an author may, named George Weigel. He wrote a book entitled The Cuban, the Cathedral, Europe, America, and Politics Without God. He talks about atheistic humanism in Europe and talks about the trends that have been over there. He says, even as thoughtful Europeans and Americans wrestle with the grave issues raised by Europe's collapse of morale, its power deficit, and its depopulation, many European political leaders continue to insist, the most recently they insisted during their development of the European Constitution, that the only, only a public square removed of religiously informed moral argument is safe for human rights and democracy. He says precisely the opposite is true. There can be no true deliberation about the common good and any robust defense of freedom without God. God. And Europe has spent the last century trying to remove God from the public arena. And the battle continues, of course, here in America. Prayer demonstrates we need God. Praise demonstrates we remember God. Okay? Prayer demonstrates we need God. Praise demonstrates we remember God. Are you in trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Praise God. Now, let's move on to the more complex, complicated part of this passage. Are you sick? Okay. If you're sick, you should have stayed home. But no, that's okay. Are you sick is the next question. It says, 
What do we do when we're sick? If you're sick, he says, pray, pray. Now, we're given a set of guidelines, recognizing that prayer is the answer. God is the one that heals, but God works through people. And he gives us four guidelines for prayer. The first guideline is to call for the church leaders. It says, call for the elders. Elders were the spiritual leaders of the early church. They were the men of, of word and prayer. Uh, when we look at the background, Acts 6 uh, seems to be the beginning of the establishment of these offices. And we looked at Acts 6 last year. Uh, elders and deacons. Guidelines are given in 1 Timothy and Titus for the qualifications and the function of elders and deacons. Now, we don't have time to go into the whole uh, teaching about elders and deacons, but, um, but basically we have, in, in every church, there are official leaders, which are pastors, staff, board members, but many times people who function in spiritual leadership, in ministry of the word and prayer, don't have official titles, and that's okay. We call this the priesthood of all believers. So calling on someone who's spiritually discerning and spiritually mature. But people will ask, when I'm sick, shouldn't I call the doctor? What does Pastor Mark know about medicine? That's a good question. It's like the little boy whose dad was a pastor had a doctor's degree in theology, and he said this, my dad's a doctor, but he's not the kind that can do anything for you. (laughs) See, modern medicine has brought us some incredible things, whether it's vaccines or uh, annual flu shots, penicillin, antibiotics for infections, uh, surgery, radiation, chemotherapy for cancer, stem cell transplants, gene therapy. We can go on and on about all the advances And these are all well and good. And yes, if you are sick, call a doctor, make an appointment, okay? Make sure you do that. But there is an over-reliance on modern medicine that has moved our focus from dependence on God to dependence on the doctor. Dependence on God to dependence on the doctor. One elderly woman was sick and unable to be helped by further medical treatment. And her her daughter said, Mom, we've done all we can. Now we need to pray. And she replied, You mean it's come to that? Yes. I believe God has given us much scientific knowledge to help with sickness and disease, but sometimes it has come to that. What is that? Prayer. It's prayer. That's where we should be anyway. Seek medical treatment, use common sense. But pray. It was interesting because people are all over the map on this particular issue. Judy and I were participating in an international Pentecostal women's conference in Orlando, Florida. And I was walking between the hotel and the convention center when I came on an elderly woman who had fallen on the sidewalk. She had collapsed and she was surrounded by seven or eight ladies that had laid hands on them and they were praying for her in tongues. I quickly asked, did someone call 911? No one had. So I did, okay? Call 911. If you come in an auto accident, by all means, pray for the injured, but do call 911 too, okay? There's a practical balance to this this whole thing. We are called to do all we can humanly do, but sometimes, to be honest, it's not enough. It's not enough. And whether the person has the flu or is terminally ill, we have to find a balance. I cannot tell you how many times the doctors have been totally mystified with the condition. We prayed, God answered. Many of you have experienced the same thing. Are you sick? Call for the leadership of the church. This is human initiative based on faith and trust in God. The solution 
that is beyond human power, but in prayer, it's placed in God's hands. It's God's power. Ultimately, whether it's surgery or antibiotics, it's God that heals anyway. You know, doctors can cut and they can remove and they can do certain things, but God is the healer. God is the one who brings healing. Physical healing is one of the gifts Jesus brought when he shed his blood, his death, burial, and resurrection at the cross. Isaiah 53, four through five says this, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishments that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. So God has given us provision for physical healing as well. So call for the elders. That's the first step. Second, confess known sin. Verse 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Verse 15, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Now this is a huge, huge topic about healing. It includes a practice of confessing our sins to one another, and sometimes confessing our sins to one another has huge potential for healing, not only relationally, but even physically and spiritually. And then, of course, confessing our sins to God through Jesus, who's the only one who can ultimately forgive our sins. Why confess? Why does, why does James put this in there? It's kind of interesting. Why does he put that in there? Does, does sin cause sickness? If we're sick, does that mean that some propose that there's sin in your life? Does sin make us sick? Uh, it can, sometimes. Is all sickness due to sin? No, no. There's a whole theology that says if you, if you have sickness in your life, you have some sin that's unconfessed. No, we don't subscribe to that. James isn't saying that sickness is necessarily the result of sin. He knows that when Jesus addressed a man that was born blind, people said it must have been because of his sin or his parents' sin, and Jesus said no. It was not. And Job, the, the great story, Job, Job was sick and nobody knew. Nobody knew the backstory of what was actually going on in the story of Job. And, and so when they're talking about Job, his friends came and said, it's because you're sin. There's something wrong in your life. That's why you're experiencing this physical, this physical judgment. And it wasn't that at all. So we know that, that that's not necessarily the cause of physical sickness. However, there are times that our actions of unconfessed sin or bitterness or some kind of things can cause physical illness or sickness in our lives. The New Testament teaching in, in, in the Corinthian church talks about uh, illness and even death with one sin uh, that, that happened in the Corinthian church. They suffered physical judgment because of unconfessed sin in their lives if they partook of the Lord's Supper. So confess known sin to God, make things right with other people. So if you're, if you're sick, call for the elders, confess your sins to one another, confess your sins to God. And third, be anointed with oil. Oil, what's, what's that all about? What kind of oil? Penn's oil 1040, or is it castor oil 530? Um, maybe it's canola oil or olive oil. Actually, any oil will do. Any oil will do, just like any water will do for baptism. There are people that are baptized in salt water on the ocean beaches. Then some 
like to go to the inland lake or stream and they get baptized in fresh water or they get baptized in a hot tub or, or a chlorinated pool. It's chlorinated, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's water. That's water, this is oil. God uses visible objects and visible actions to signify invisible realities. When you take communion, which we're gonna take next, next Sunday, the bread and wine signify the body and blood of Jesus. And it's more than just symbolic. The, the real presence of Jesus is there with the elements. The, 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 they don't become the body and blood of Christ, but in a spiritual sense, they, they become something more than what they are physically in a spiritual way. In baptism, it signifies washing and cleansing. and It t- talks about death and burial and resurrection. Getting rid of the old life, the old life dies, and we're resurrected into a new life. It signifies with the water, the burial and resurrection. In the Old Testament, we had fire in the burning bush. We had the pillar of fire, the pillar of smoke, a brass serpent on a pole. In all of these things that we see, God was present in reality, not just symbolically. God was present in reality. It's more than symbolic. God's presence is in all of these in a mystical way, whether it's water or whether it's oil or whether it's fire. I'm not talking about holy oil or holy water. We're just talking about God using these elements to accomplish something in the supernatural. And when used by faith, God's presence and power are present. If you are anointed with oil oil at your request, James says, number four, letter D, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. This does not mean the oil made them well, nor the verbal formula made them well. We don't do mantras and formulas. It says the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. Does that happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. Many of you here this morning, I, I shared this in in first service and somebody came up to me and shared an instance that this happened to them in their life. A healing touch. We had a woman in the congregation in Wichita, Kansas that was diagnosed with a cancerous tumor verified by a CAT scan. And before she went in for surgery that morning, a group of us gathered around her, anointed her with oil and prayed for her, okay? She went in to have surgery they opened her up and there was no cancer. It was gone. It was gone. Did God heal her? Yes, yes, he did. It was there. Then it was not. Now, here's an age-old question. A lot of people want to know this. Why do some get healed and some not get healed? Anybody ever ask that question? Why, why does God heal some and not heal other ones? That's, that's a question. When Jesus healed the two blind men in Matthew, he touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Oh, they they must have had enough faith. But then in Matthew 13, it says they took offense at him, Jesus. And Jesus said, only in his hometown, in his own house, is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So is, is it the amount of faith that makes a difference? If I just have enough faith... Or as long as I don't have sin in my life, is, is that it? No. Faith, no matter how small, 
releases the power of God, but will never interfere with God's sovereignty. Faith releases the power of God, what will never interfere with God's sovereignty. There's another instance where the apostle Paul prayed for healing. You'd think, man, this guy's spiritual. He's a church leader. He's the founder of the church. I mean, wow, this guy should be healed. But God chooses not to heal him and uses the sickness to keep him humble and dependent on God to fulfill a higher purpose. There's a backstory. There's a higher purpose. We don't always understand or comprehend. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul wrote, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. Evidently, he had been, he had been, have these incredible revelations in his life. And it says, to keep me, he says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's not a cop-out. God said, I'm not going to heal you. My, my power is made perfect in your weakness. This is real experience. This is real world. Some are healed. For some, God chooses not to heal. Some God allows to die. His name was Sean. Her name was Christy. They were two bright, young, attractive young people, college-age students, age 20. I knew something was up when they dropped into my office one afternoon, both beaming with the aura that comes only with loving and, and being loved. They had decided they were going to get married. Would I perform the wedding? Could I do the premarital counseling? I said I'd be honored to do that. We scheduled the first premarital counseling appointment several weeks out. Before our first session, I received a phone call from Christy. Could she and Sean come to see me? It was, it was very, very important. My first thought was, oh, no, they had a fight. You know, it's the first fight. Um, uh, Judy and I had one of those once, and I'm sure it will be fine. They'll be fine. Well, I wish that was all it had been. They came in with serious looks on their faces and then announced, Sean has leukemia. It's a very aggressive strain, and he needs to go into chemotherapy right away, and he needs to have a bone marrow transplant. The discussion that I had with Sean and Christy that afternoon was centered around whether they should get married before the transplant or after treatment. We discussed the pros and cons of it, experiencing this trauma sing as single adults or as newlyweds, as a newlywed couple. And as it turned out, the decision was made for them since... Sean's health insurance would only remain in effect if he was still single. A new insurance would not cover bone marrow transplant since it was a pre-existing condition. We prayed. A lot of us prayed. We anointed Sean with oil. We prayed some more. Sean went into Fred Hutchinson Cancer Hospital and had his first transplant. It failed. They immediately tried a second Sean never left Fred Hutchison Cancer Hospital. I was with he and Christy through the whole ordeal and was with Sean two hours before he passed away. And I was asking, 
Why? Why, God? He's only 20 years old. He's engaged to a beautiful young lady. His whole life is out there in front of him. Why? I received the phone call at 2 a.m. Sean was in heaven. And Christy was brokenhearted and devastated. Why? Why? When I did the memorial service, it was the most difficult service I've ever participated in. I will never know why God heals some and not others. Two years later, my phone rang in my office. It was Christy. She seemed happy again, alive and vibrant. She said, I met someone. Would you do the wedding? I have the privilege of joining together a beautiful bride purified by tragedy to handsome, young, godly groom. Why does God heal some and not others? That's really the wrong question. That's the wrong question. The right question ought to be, is my trust and confidence in God? Is my relationship with God right? Am I in total submission to God and his will to accept anything he allows or brings my way? If we do what our forebears did, we will ask why. We will question, we will complain, we will cry out to God. That's okay. Ultimately, it's not for us to explain, but to trust. It's not for us to explain, but to trust. This is not passive resignation, but it's active submission. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. Verse 17 and 18 says, Elijah was a man just like us, human just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. The prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective. Are you in trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Praise. Are you sick? Pray. Everything begins and ends with prayer. Everything begins and ends with God. God is the only one who can take what was meant for evil and make it good. And God is the only one who can cause all things to work together for our good and his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we don't have all the answers. We don't even always know what questions to ask. But we thank you that we're not the only ones who have ever wrestled with those questions. You call on us to pray. You call on us to praise and thank you. And you call on us to engage in community where we pray for one another. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you, by your grace, 
would speak to our hearts today the truth. And that even though we don't have all the questions and we don't have all the answers, we don't know the what, we know who. And that's you. In Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we? Father, we pray that you will release your supernatural power. Father, you'll build our faith. And God, that you would work your healing in each and every one of us. Father, that we would not turn to other things. We would pray. We would praise. We would, we would pray believing that you are God who hears and answers prayer. And Father, as we go out into our various areas, Lord, we're, we're the church dispersed during the week. And I pray that you'll anoint each and every one of us, that we would see people as you see them. God, so many broken people that need Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you would use us to tell them what you've done for us and that we can pray. And they, too, can find that healing in Jesus Christ. And now may the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit be and abide with all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen.